Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 21, Bleeding Hearts. Mary, what happened this week? Kelly backs out on plans with her mom, so Colin won't be late to his cocaine appointment with Danny Five. At this appointment, Danny tells Kelly she can buy drugs from him, too. Colin has his art friends over for beers and cocaine and is really grumpy the next morning when all the drugs are gone. He yells at Kelly and tells her that if she wants more, she has to go get it. So she does, and it goes terribly wrong. Luckily, the smart Kelly we know and love is still in there somewhere. She thinks fast and removes herself from an awful situation and finally asks for help. The Alphas are organizing a 24-hour pledge to not bang in order to bring awareness to abstinence and safe sex. They're also hosting a sexy Valentine's pajama party at the pee pad. Donna kind of finds it hard to concentrate on this, though, between her best friend's downward spiral and Joe's worries regarding his health and his future in football. Steve signs the sex out pledge and Claire bets him he can't follow through. Val tries to set up Ginger with Jonathan in an attempt to distract them from David and Susan. Unfortunately, Gingy and Jono come up with their own plan to undistract themselves. Val has to come clean to David about what she and Ginger did in September, and David has to give in to Ginger's demands to save Val's fake reputation. Ginger ends up with exactly what she wants, Val in pain, and Jonathan ends up with Susan's fist in his face, fucking finally. Poor Val, though. The idea that it took this long for Susan to punch Jonathan in the face, like unwanted kissing two months ago, didn't Mm -hmm. do it. But trying to force her to dance with him in front of her boyfriend, no. That's where she draws the line. Hey, I mean, it was a long journey to get here, but we got here. We took a lot of twists and turns, a lot of bumps along the way, but we got here. It was so worth it. It was incredibly satisfying. (laughs) But I guess we can start at the beginning. Because at the beginning, Colin and Kelly are late for their drug appointment, as Mary said. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's also late for her intervention. Mm -hmm. That she doesn't know she's having, but... I I suspect a spidey sense going off. (laughs) There's got to be something in there. I mean, she talks about how Jackie is really worried about her. And you can even see compared to the episodes we've seen of her before, she is wearing makeup. She is done up. That makeup is like very heavy black eyeliner, which is very not Kelly in my mind. Mm -hmm. But she's at least like putting an effort into her appearance so that you know, presumably her mom and whoever else is going to be at the Peach Pit are less worried about her. Yep. And, yeah, Colin is just I done even pretending to be nice. Yeah, it's like he's in fine form. He doesn't even act like a boyfriend anymore. He just acts like a means to an end because he is so frustrated. He makes a joke about – he loves those meteorologists – weather updates of snowfall in LA (laughs) and he's frustrated because he's already late to something which we you know we know doesn't want to drop off Kelly at the peach pit 
And all he's concerned with is just getting more cocaine and meeting Danny Five, who I ended up calling because I kept forgetting his name. I kept calling him Johnny Swim. <laughs> I kept calling him Johnny Five. Like, okay. From the movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's like so concerned because I guess they're out and they need some for the weekend. And like you said, he's done pretending to even try to be nice because then he's like, fine, don't come crying to me when you're coming down. As if she, like he wouldn't also be coming down because they're together. And if he, if she misses the drug appointment, he misses the drug appointment. Right? Like what's he, he I was late. So he knocked 50% off of our Coke deal. So yeah, I get to keep this 50%. You're the 50% that got lost. Right. Also, the idea that they're like, this is their only appointment to get drugs for the weekend as if drug dealers work 40 hours a week on a standard Monday <laughs> through Friday schedule. Well, yeah. And that they're already 20 minutes late. Why were you 20 minutes late? Why couldn't you have planned better and been 20 minutes early so you had time to drop off Kelly at the Peach Pit? Well, I also feel like this is like cocaine time. Like if you're on drugs, mm. no one's on time. That man is just going to be right. high when you get there instead of not high as he was maybe 20 minutes ago, assuming he had his schedule up to date. Like I don't think this man looks at his calendar and is like, noon, Colin mm. for a gram. Yeah. You know, when you said that it's like drug time, it made me think of a wolf, the Wolf of Wall Street when – Leo DiCaprio takes the Quaaludes and he like <laughs> imagines himself perfectly driving from his house to uh, Margot Robbie's and then you see what actually happened. <laughs> it's terrible. That's like the funniest scene in that entire movie to me. But I mean, really, like in all truth, I do not think that this man is like, no, you're late. You can't mm -hmm. have the cocaine anymore. Like he is not yeah. back to back. He is not a doctor. No, exactly. But, but we, it is inconsiderate, nonetheless, to be that late for, if you agree, especially like in the age of the 90s where some people had car phones. We know Kelly has a car phone. But if you make a plan, you just trust that the other person is going to honor that plan, right? So, mm -hmm. anywho, that's enough talking about their <laughs> drug appointment. Yeah, because Kelly's appointment at the Peach Pit, we now see that waiting for her in one of the booths is Jackie, David, and Brandon. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, presumably Susan came with Brandon. She's sitting up at the counter and Val walks in from the pee pad and starts asking like, oh, what's going on? To which Susan tells her like, it's, it's basically an intervention. Like, mm -hmm. this is what we're going for here. Which yeah, and Val is like, not obviously not caring about Kelly, but saying like she needs to hit rock bottom essentially. And Susan's like, well, yeah, I, th I think that is probably true, but also people deserve to have a chance. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that because it would be very easy for Susan to just be like, yeah, you're right. Especially after last episode when they talked about, you know, that little comment from Val, like stick with me, I'll make you heartless. And so it's so Val to then turn it, you know, like deflect from Kelly and be like, oh, yeah, like you're giving Jonathan another chance. Val, like, I think what's so wild to me in this scene is just like trying to figure out who knows what. Mm. 
Because, like, Susan starts talking about how this is essentially an intervention for Kelly, which means now she knows about Kelly's drug problem, which she didn't yeah. know last episode. And then Val is, yeah, talking about giving Jonathan another chance. And I'm like, you have no idea what the backstory is between Susan and Jonathan, and you are meddling in things you don't understand. For sure. Like, guaranteed, she is just very service level. Like, oh, this is your ex-boyfriend. He is in town and won't leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no way she knows any of the other stuff because, frankly, Brandon wouldn't share that information. Yeah, I don't think so. No, but basically, you know, Susan keeps talking about how she just really wants Jonathan to get over her, and Val's like, well, maybe he needs another woman to distract him, and I have the perfect person. Mm-hmm, and boy, does she. <laughs> okay, so my issue here is, like, Val is so clearly acting out of desperation and not thinking mm-hmm. because this is quite literally the worst choice she could make. Right. Like best in the sense that Ginger likes men and is is in fact the perfect woman to distract Jonathan because she's a very attractive woman. She's very charming. All of this mm-hmm. stuff. But she is also insanely diabolical. Like we literally just talked about last episode how – Ginger is probably the one that created the Val that is exists today. And mm-hmm. so if you put her in front of somebody who also has an ulterior motive, yeah, it's the, like recipe for a disaster. It's essentially like, you know, the putting a Mentos in a Coke bottle. Yeah. No, it's like when this all blows up in everybody's face and Ginger and Jonathan have a plan later, it was like Pikachu shocked face. Like who could have <laughs> predicted this would happen? Yeah. It's like the – I also thought of the meme of – you know that, like, blonde-haired um, white man who's just, like, like blinking his <laughs> eyes? Like, mm, hmm. Like, very much like, oh, this this is what you, you got to see happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we pan over to the intervention table. I really don't know a better thing to call it. <laughs> and Jackie is, like, so – upset for not seeing what was wrong with Kelly before, which Mm -hmm. I get. Like, I totally understand Jackie beating herself up over this, especially considering this is the second time that one of her kids has had a drug problem and they haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. But they're in college. Like, she doesn't see him every day. You know, I get it. And then David, of all people, says, at least she's only using on the weekends. Yeah, and Brandon's like, why would that be better? I don't think he says that exactly, but he's essentially like, because that makes it better? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, like, what? what's the point of saying that? Because in my mind, and maybe I'm just like a little prudish on drugs, but doing any, like, amount of drugs on any day is too much. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's – just because I – you know binge drink on the weekend that doesn't mean I'm a heavy drinker you know what I mean like yeah it's I don't know it just seemed a little backwards that's like oh she's restricting it to her non-school hours yeah it's trying to say she's like a functional cokehead yeah or like I guess as opposed to what David was doing when he was doing it while he was employed by the radio station Yeah, I feel like David's like, well, when I was on drugs, I lost my job and almost got kicked out of school. So So at least she's not doing that. Right? Like, David, you of all people should know she's still using an illegal and dangerous substance. Yeah, exactly. 
Like it was just a weird thing to say, especially coming from David. And I don't know, maybe they were trying to make him make Jackie feel better. But Jackie also has had a Coke problem. So it's not like, I don't know, didn't land for me. But Jackie essentially says like, we're just going to wait until Kelly gets here. We're going to approach her calmly and rationally. And maybe she's going to like, we'll get through to her. At which point Nat shows up and is like, oh, by the way, Kelly's not coming. Mm-hmm. And you're like, great. Okay. Now what do we do? I kind of love this idea that presumably everyone in the gang, Kelly specifically, has the Peach Pit's phone number memorized. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone in the gang. Because every single time we have somebody outside the gang calling another gang member and, God, gang member. <laughs> One of the group. Um, (laughs) it's usually via Nat. So yeah, like it would make so much sense that they just have it on speed dial or, you know, like today on your iPhone, you can have your favorites. This would be on speed dial on everyone's phone. I love the idea that one of their, like an emergency contact is a restaurant. (laughs) Just like, wait a minute. This doesn't (laughs) seem right. So meanwhile, the reason why, because we assumed you know, when we last saw Colin and Kelly, that Kelly was on her way to the peach pit because Colin begrudgingly agrees. But we're back to them and they decided to blow off the peach pit and go to our drug dealer, I guess, um, instead. And obviously this is all Colin's convincing. Like somewhere mm-hmm. on the way, he is just like spout pro- like probably emotionally abusing her in this scenario mm-hmm. to get her to agree and like back down from wanting to be dropped off at the peach pit so they go to see the drug dealer and colin is the only one to get out of the car kelly waits in the car notices her surroundings and then locks her door so you can tell that she is like at least taking note of where they are and what they're doing meanwhile Mm -hmm. colin's just like hey man what's up and like seeing this really tweaked out drug dealer to get his cocaine yeah and colin and drug dealer danny come out so that Colin can introduce Danny and Kelly. Yeah. And, you know, Danny's like, oh, we should all hang out sometime. And, like, you can totally buy from me too, but don't give my number to anybody else that you don't think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I have to say here, and I know it because I looked it up, is that Danny is played by the same guy who played Cousin Bobby. Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, and I feel like I remember – when we had the Cousin Bobby episode, that we knew he came back as somebody else. Mm. But it's not like IMDb says drug dealer Danny Five. Yeah. I think it just says Danny Five. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. He totally, like, He looks completely different. Yeah, he threw on glasses and got facial hair. He supergirled me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he got up and walked. Completely different person. That's true. Oh, my Lord. That is wild. Okay. Right? So, you know, he introduces himself. He goes to walk away and do more drug dealing, I guess. And at this point, Colin is like, oh, I can take you to the peach pit now because he has his drugs. He's fine. He doesn't need to be a dick anymore. Mm-hmm. But all Kelly wants to do now that they have them is literally just go home and do them. Like, she yeah, doesn't even want to exactly. go anymore. Presumably at some point in between these scenes, we saw her cancel on the Peach Pit anyway. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't know. Yeah. So taking a break from the cocaine, we go over to see you and we're at the Condor's Nest or whatever, or the student center. And mm-hmm. Donna is like in front of a bunch of people, looks like a bunch of keg brothers and alpha ladies, um, alpha sisters. And she's reminding them about the alpha pajama party that's happening. And there's a big old poster that says the words sex out. Assuming like a lockout, but sex out. <laughs> yeah. And she explains it is a vow of celibacy for 24 hours to promote abstinence and safe sex, which like literally, you know, Donna came up with this idea and like tried to really sell it as like, yeah, we'll all figure out in 24 hours that abstinence is a totally valid way to live your life. And then everyone will join in with me and stop having so much sex. And then I feel like her friends were just like, I mean, I guess I can go 24 hours. We do need a charity this year. Like, literally, she could have said the words, this is a vow of apples and oranges, and it would have made the same sense to me. (laughs) Because that's what celibacy and abstinence are. Like, there's a total difference in, or I'm sorry, in abstinence and safe sex. Like, there's Mm -hmm. such a difference in just not having it and then having it carefully and, and responsibly. Like, again, it's apples and oranges. And it's so funny that this show really focuses in on that and I do and it's so interesting too that like Tori Spelling is the one wrapped in it every single time with the exception of Brenda in the first season Mm -hmm. so it's like I mean what is this control here like what is this I mean I I have no idea if this has been like full-on confirmed or if this is just like rumors and stuff but it was definitely Tori Spelling because Aaron Spelling did not want his daughter having sex on TV, right? Right. And, you know, like we have seen rumors before that his opinions on what Donna can and cannot do on screen end up happening. Mm-hmm. But it's just wild to me that they keep bringing it up because, yeah, in like 1996 – you have to think that people are starting to say like, okay, we really need to change from abstinence-only sex education to safe sex education mm-hmm. and like actually teaching kids because this uh, vow is for charity for AIDS foundations. Right. So like you should really be teaching the safe sex version of things. In exactly. This. Yeah, 100%. Especially and because so- – what is it? Season two – They had the AIDS episode where the woman shows up at their school and is like, I had sex once and got AIDS. I think so. I think it was season two. It was whenever Brandon was running for office. Yeah. That sounds right. But yeah, it's it's an interesting choice that this show keeps going back to, like beyond just Donna. Well, yeah, because we have Joe as the celibate character thus far, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think what's so interesting about this is, like, so Steve jumps up on stage when, like, some of the alpha dudes, or not alpha, um, keg dudes are, like, basically essentially protesting this, right? And Steve is, like, weirdly okay with this sex out because, think of all, you're still seeing lingerie and you're still seeing, like, all this type blah, 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 and foreplay, which I know we've talked about this, this pretty much confirms what we've thought (laughs) about steve sanders like he enjoys foreplay so Mm -hmm. 
confirmed. Like, this is confirmed. And so, like, because he then takes the pledge, he gets other people to do it too. And so I think it's really interesting that you're showing – because, like, Donna's not unhappy about being abstinent, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she is not not unhappy to just not have sex. Like, she's totally fine with it. And then Steve – is also fine with this vow, I think, because it's only 24 hours, but again, because he really enjoys all aspects of sex, not just the actual act. And I just find it interesting that there's not more middle ground here. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think it would be one thing if Donna was really, really, I don't know, like she was holding on to this whole abstinence thing for a certain reason, because now that she's known about her mother, she is still sticking to it, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's Steve, who we know is sex crazed, but he's also talking about it as more of a general broad topic as opposed to just the actual act. And so I just sometimes I wish there was a little bit more middle ground instead of like the hyper sexual and then the, you know, non-sexual. Yeah. Well, and I think like the middle ground would have been Susan and Brandon that we see later in the episode, but then they are very busy doing something else. So we only get the like comedic, you know. Mm. polar opposites going on I mean yeah because even Claire comes up to Steve and calls him Mr. Instant Gratification (laughs) I love that she's like when has Mr. Instant Gratification ever denied himself and he was like I cut out potatoes in eighth grade so that I could make weight for wrestling (laughs) Claire should be like Steve that was like eight years ago (laughs) (laughs) like yeah she goes I mean about sex and he he's got nothing yeah yeah. And she ends up betting him. She's like, I don't think you can keep this pledge. And I didn't sign it. And then, like, immediately grabs his crotch. Yep. I like, mean, on the one hand, like, I kind of love that Claire's doing this because I think Claire has, I don't know, like, a reason to, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, like, a pledge versus not a pledge. It's like, hmm, this will be fun. I kind of want to make a competition with you, you know? I I also think it is low-key fascinating that multiple relationships that we follow in this show had one person sign this pledge without telling mm-hmm. the other person they signed the pledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's like 24 hours, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. They make this out to be such a big thing that it's 24 hours. Yeah. But like – I just feel like John would be very confused if I was like, by the way, I publicly signed something today. And it said that I cannot have sex with you for one day. He'd be like, wait, why did you sign something? Right? I feel like he'd be like, okay, fine. But like publicly signing something? That's yeah, a weird choice. Like it's as if these kids – or I guess I get they're adults, whatever. It's as if these people have never been sick before and gone a day without <laughs> sex or have not been in a relationship and not have a date one night. And so they're not having, you know what I'm saying? It's like right. the, the length of time was, I think, getting me because I'm like, pretty sure that's very common to go a day without sex. <laughs> that's totally doable. Although. Yeah. <laughs> I also have to say, I love that Donna's definition of abstinence was anything above the neck. <laughs> I just want to be like, Donna, I have seen you naked in bed with another guy. Like, 
you you have definitely done below the neck things as Absolutely. an abstinence only person. Like my girl. That's where she lost them. Like if she was just like just no penetration of any kind. Which you I'm sure ask- they probably couldn't say that on TV. Right. It's not like they could be like, no oral sex. No. Like, you know, they couldn't like list all the different ways. They and they probably didn't want to say intercourse. Because mm. <laughs> God knows I hate that word too. Right. Like, they had to like be very gentle about it because they're still on like network television. Mm-hmm. But we all know. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. There's a brief scene in between the like abstinence pledge thing where Val is bringing Ginger to have lunch with Jonathan, which is quite literally all that happens. Like mm-hmm. Val talks Jonathan up to Ginger. He, she talks Ginger up to Jonathan in like very them ways saying Jonathan mm-hmm. makes a lot of money and Ginger is really easy. And I thought it was kind of hilarious and like should have set off alarm bells in Val's head That as soon as they meet, they immediately start talking about how Brandon and the gang hate them. Right. They have, like, a common hatred from the rest of the group. So they can – yeah. Like, yeah. Totally should have been alarm bells. She's like, oh, crap. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, are you going to stay for lunch? And she says no. But if I was her, I would have said, you know what? I would – my afternoon opened up. Let's sit down. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just, like, really – guide that conversation yes a hundred percent but instead you know she leaves we skip ahead a couple of hours it's I guess dinner time and Claire is chopping vegetables very dangerously I don't know why she picked up the zucchini and started cutting it in midair she was trying to do Fruit Ninja before Fruit Ninja was popular (laughs) it was stressing me out so much I was like ma'am what are you doing I know and then Steve is, like, all up in her business because yep. the bet starts tomorrow and he really just needs to, like, you know. Rub one out. Yeah. <laughs> Get it all out before he can't anymore. And she's denying him because she's, like, I'm not going to, like, do anything to harm my chances. And mm-hmm. he's, like, you're fixing it. You're, like, fixing the bet or whatever. And she's like, no, no, I'm just, like, counting on a sure thing, basically. And Brandon and Susan are over there at the table, and they decide they want in on this because they also think it's a sure thing that Steve's going to give in to Claire, which, like, yeah, I 100% would put all my money on that, too. It's also really weird, though, right? Like, yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To make, to make a bet about one of your best friends – about whether or not he's going to have sex in the next 24 hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you think about it too hard, it's it's way too weird. <laughs> well, <laughs> then Brandon learns that Susan signed the pledge. And, you know, like, he directed this episode, so he's in very few scenes. But in this scene, when he, like, kind of processes, like, his face acting is processing that he has to go 24 hours without sex, too, was just, like, chef's kiss. Well, especially, like, when... Susan is like, speak for yourself, dear. And he's like, you did it. She says, I did. Happy Valentine's Day, precious. And like makes kissing noises at him. (laughs) I loved loved it so much. 
I love them so much. Like that really makes me stuff. It's stuff like that that makes me think that like Emma Caulfield and Jason Priestley were like friends outside of this. You know, like you only get that kind of comfortability and ease with like people you like, you know? I really hope so. Because like she has not been on this show for very long, but they are clicking so well. So well. So well. Elsewhere in 90210, (laughs) Kelly and Colin are having a party? Just a four person party. But Kelly is very high and mm-hmm. a little drunk. Yep. And Colin seems like really annoyed by Kelly's behavior too. Like he's not used to her being this messed up, I guess. I like again, he ran out of all of his patience and ran out of all of his like ability to be a good human being. So now yeah. he's just being asshole Colin like he has been but just on an unfiltered level. Yeah, it was like when he took that short break from doing coke for like four months at the beginning of the season, he was better and then like not great, but better. And now he's just progressively getting worse and worse and worse. And Mm -hmm. yeah, he seems really annoyed by her behavior and the way she's just like moving around and like hanging over him. And he tries to give her another bump, but she is just like already so high. She can't fathom it. Mm -hmm. And then to make matters worse – Donna is at the door with more mail than I get in a month. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I'll say it's not more mail than I get to my house in a month, but it's way more mail than is actually addressed to me that I I would get in a month. (laughs) Yeah. Like the majority of the mail that I get that's actually addressed to me would be like people trying to sell me stuff for like CPEs for my license. Or mm. political campaigns that are just addressed addressed to the house. Like, I am not getting a giant, like, here are all of your magazines and several letters. Like, I totally get Donna coming over with a letter from her dad and being mm-hmm. like, hey, I'll sit with you while you read it because oh. I know your relationship with your dad. Mm-hmm. But, like, they did not need the entire armful of mail. Like, she could have literally just said, like, Here's your dad sent a letter. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, this is my favorite scene of the episode. Um I'll tell you why. So, and I'll do it as I'm telling you what happens. So, yeah, she says, first of all, the fact that Donna says that there's a letter from her dad and she will sit with her to open it. Like, that, it was so subtle and it wasn't overemphasized. It was just like, this is a fact. I will do this thing because I care about you. And Kelly's face doesn't almost register it, but, like, you know it did. Mm -hmm. And... It was wonderful. It was so cute. And then Donna decides to ask her to come home, come to the alpha party, like come back to your friends, come back to what you're used to, come back to what, you know, accepts you. And Kelly's like, no, I'm having a really great time. This is what I want. And so Donna kind of just accepts it. You know, she's obviously hurt by it and everything. And I love at this point, because if you watch their faces, I watched this scene a couple of times. If you watch their faces, it was at this moment that both of them started having tears in their eyes. And you could you could feel the emotion coming from them. And when Donna says, you know, if there's anything you need, I'm here for you. And they tell each other they love each other. Like, it was breaking my heart. And I was instantly reminded of how close Tori Spelling and Jenny Garth are 
to this day and how these are two best friends and they're not in scenes together anymore and they're not you know hanging they're probably hanging out but they might have different schedules and things now so this could have been an even more emotional thing for the two of them as people compounded then by the gravity of the scene and i was just like oh my lord these women i love them so so much and just jenny is so good at at holding those tears in her eyes she's mm-hmm. so good at just keeping them there but still acting and speaking the dialogue it, it it was just i loved this scene so much it was so heartbreaking mm-hmm. like uh just watching the two of them like because donna hasn't given up on her no like think about how the last episode ended where she showed up at their house and was like you know if anybody tries to kidnap me again i'm calling the police and i need to move out and i've outgrown this place and i'm mm-hmm. sorry i've outgrown you and then you know whatever, like a week later, Donna is still showing up where she lives and is bringing her her mail and being like, we're having a party tomorrow if you want to come. Like Donna will not give up. And I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. I mean, she changed tactics, right? For so mm-hmm. for so long, she was trying tough love. Tough love didn't work. So now she's trying to be present, right? She's trying to be sweet to her and caring as opposed to tough love, just to try to see if something will work. Mm-hmm. And, oh, oh, it was amazing. I loved it. It was so, so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But now it's Valentine's Day. Mm. And, like, a lot <laughs> happens on Valentine's Day. Like, the first thing, literally start at the beginning of the morning, David has brought Val cafeteria breakfast in bed which includes a sunny d without the label on it and Mm -hmm. it made me really want a sunny d that i'm sure would not live up to my childhood memories it would just ruin your insides (laughs) i would just feel so my kidneys wouldn't be like i don't know how to process all this sugar i don't know what you did exactly but he wrote her a poem which he then reads to her and i didn't write it down and he says it again later in the episode so you know Whatever. I mean, it was a beautiful poem, and he essentially professes his love for her, which is cute. No, I mean, they're adorable. It was just like, it felt like a filler to have him read the poem twice. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, he reads his poem to her, which I love that, like, since we're on TV, like, you can't just hold the poem open to the camera and be like, read it. Right. (laughs) You were just like, will you read it to me, David? And then she just, like, sits in bed with that little smile on her face. I mean, I would love to believe that the actual story is that she doesn't have her contacts in yet. (laughs) She, like, literally can't read it. (laughs) She's got eyesight like mine, so it's, like, all the way up in her face. And it's, like, the mic can't pick up what you're saying. Like, we got to pivot. (laughs) It's too muffled. And then she gets him a bracelet. A friendship bracelet. (laughs) Well, because they have this adorable moment where she's, like, you know, I've had men in my life, but none of them have ever been my friend before. And that was super sweet. But at first I was like, oh, did she just friend zone him? <laughs> I think we should break up. Yeah, right? No. Can but I have no, that what egg muffin? Yeah, exactly. But no, what she actually says with, you know, him being the one that's actually meant something to her and actually treated her well, loved it. I mean, God, for somebody like Val, can you imagine like, 
and I feel like this was the first, maybe not the first episode, but maybe it was one of the first times that I really truly realized the depth of Val's feelings for David. Because mm-hmm. even though like they tried to take it slow at first, and then obviously they were just attracted to each other, so they gave it, gave into it, which there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with that. They have had an interesting relationship, just because there's been a lot of chaos. So I think we've only been able to see a lot of the chaos and a little bit less of the, I guess, domesticity of their relationship. And I'm starting to see Val's depth for of feelings for David, and it's quite sweet. Yeah. No, I I think they're adorable. And yeah, this feels like probably one of the first times we've truly seen them be real with each other. Agreed. Beyond the other things. And that makes the end of this episode really suck. I know. And then on campus, Donna has made t-shirts. They say <laughs> sex out 1996. They are bright red. They cost $10. And I would never buy one. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> I would do All it, it says on it is sex out with a big old heart. And I think it's so funny and I want it. <laughs> I would buy it for like the same reasons that Ron Swanson um, keeps getting the free samples of the turkey bacon in the <laughs> organic gets- grocery store just to throw it away. <laughs> but that way I can contribute to charity and also make sure nobody wears these shirts. <laughs> Feel free to cut this out, but I would exclusively sleep in that shirt on days I have my period. Oh, I love that. (laughs) But weirdly, so this whole scene with like Donna and Joe on Valentine's Day, like they didn't get each other anything. Mm -mm. Like for the people who Donna got him a quarterback for his birthday and he got Donna a bird for her birthday, (laughs) they're just like not into gifts anymore. Was the bird so bad that she was just like, you know what? No more gifts. She was scarred by the damn bird. <laughs> and Donna was probably like, Shh, I'm tapped out of favors. Like, I got, we got to wait. It's only been two months since Christmas. <laughs> just, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. But Joe says that he has to go see the coach. And then he wants to thank him for, like, standing by him during all this medical stuff. And... That scene happens a little later, but I'm kind of going to jump to it because it's really the only other Joe scene until, like, the end of the episode. Much later. Yeah. But he goes into the coach's office, and, like, you can tell right away the coach is giving him bad news. He's like, you've mm-hmm. always been such a good team player. And he's like, and I'm going to need – I'm going to need you to continue to be a good team player. And he starts talking about how they need a QB. And Joe's not getting – like, he's in denial. He's like, but we have a backup. And the guy's like, well, yeah, we have a backup, but we need a starter. Mm-hmm. And basically says that they need a quarterback that is not going to ruin their chances at a Rose Bowl because of a medical condition. Which, quite frankly, this person who played the coach was not great, but – it's not unheard of for this to happen. I mean, Mm-mm. like coaches recruit over and all of that, like for much lesser, less serious things, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that Joe has a heart condition, of course the coach is going to be concerned because Joe is just one person. And honestly, he's looking out for Joe's health too, even if the intentions aren't clear. 
Yeah. Like, I think this was all valid. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not what Joe wanted to hear. It's not how Joe wanted to hear it. Yes. And. And I mean, he's been the starter for however long he has been. He's worked really hard for what he has. And so, of course, he's not used to being told he's being benched, especially because he he only just found out about this heart condition, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about football before, so like. Yeah. I'll drop it there, but it sucks. And like it you can suck. see it on Joe's face that he's mm-hmm. upset. Uh, so then more on campus. Uh, in the newsroom, Brandon has given Susan a bouquet of roses and she is like kind of very horny about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, am I wrong? No, not at all. Not at all. She was extremely enthusiastic. I guess flowers are her love language. I guess so. And then, like, she kind of crushes the the gift thing, but, like, maybe a little too big. Yeah. Because she got him Woodward and Bernstein signed letters and then framed them. And you could almost tell because Brandon doesn't necessarily give her the reaction that she wants, that she knew she was giving him a big, big present. And so now she's disappointed because of the, like, lack of excitement, I guess, on Mm -hmm. Brandon's face. I mean, to be fair, like, I would be disappointed, too, if my boyfriend or husband or whatever reacted like that to something that I probably – it probably took a lot of favors and, like, effort to do this. Right, and – I low-key think that this is also kind of trying to make up for the fact that she essentially went on a date with Jonathan the other week. Yeah, that's which, fair. you know, they both did things they probably need to, like, have more conversations about. Like, if if Brandon had just told her why he was missing the date, I think mm-hmm. it would have been a different thing. But it doesn't matter because in this moment, another bouquet shows up. And... Like, her face, the just head in the hands, and, like, you can just put that over there. Jonathan's not getting it. Yeah. And, Which, yeah, because that's the thing is we can only assume they're from Jonathan. They don't look at the card or whatever, but, yeah, they have to. Who else would they be from? Yeah. And, you know, again, to be fair, Jonathan did scam a date out of her last episode. Yep. yep. But, like, yeah, he's just this, like, constant thorn in their side. Mm. And then finally, off campus, Kelly and Colin are not really in a Valentine's Day mood. They probably don't even know it's Valentine's Day. Yeah, they are just like, we got like the Dutch angles going on to try and give you that like uneasy feeling. And Colin is rummaging around the house, clearly agitated. Kelly's in the bathroom, also very agitated. And they're just yelling at each other. Yep. Like, apparently she did a lot of coke. Like, this is the same thing where he's like, I can't believe you went through a whole gram. And I'm sitting here saying, I guess that's a lot of coke. I'm going to trust that. Yeah, I have no, like, frame of reference. (laughs) Yeah. But he calls her a selfish bitch, which. Oh, my God. I, I literally, I can't even fathom anyone I know calling me that because that just makes me mad. That's the thing, like, if my, the person I suppose, like, that supposedly, suppose, good lord, supposedly loves me, calls me a bitch, 
no, we're done. That's it. No, we don't come back from this. Like you do not call me that. I don't care if you're kidding. I don't care if it was a joke. I don't care if you regret it later. No, that is not a word we use. No. And quite frankly, like Nate and I have a thing where we don't swear about each other. Like we might swear about the situation, say like this fucking sucks or like something like that, but we don't call each other, you know, something by a, I mean, not even a jerk, you know I mean? Well, I'll say you're being a jerk, but I won't say like, you're a jerk, you know, or you're an asshole or something like that. We just have a rule that we don't do that because we never mean it. And we know we're not really that. So if I had somebody call me that, even in a cocaine heightened or coming down state, absolutely not. We were done on the spot. Well, yeah, because that kind of thing sticks in your head. As soon as you have heard someone call you that before, you remember exactly what it sounded like and exactly what it felt like when they said that thing to you. 100%. And that's why you don't say it. Well, and then it's interesting because, like, he calls her that, and then she fires back with it was her money that bought the stash in the first place. So it should be fine that she did it all. And then he's like, well, you mean your daddy's money? It's like, yeah, Colin, because you're so good at getting money right now. Like, right? I'm sorry. You had a sugar mama until like, I don't know, 10 episodes ago. Yeah. And we're perfectly fine spending Kelly's dad's money when it was three grand not too long ago. Mm hmm. Like, I don't know. I just I'm very biased because I love Kelly and I want to protect her. Mm -hmm. And then Colin has just been a great a asshole. So, yeah, well. Thankfully, we don't see him again for the rest of this episode Mm -hmm. because he's basically just, like, written it off. He's like, if you want more, you have to go get it yourself and then, like, storms off. Yeah, and so that causes Kelly to do what he says and try to go get some herself. She goes alone back to that guy's house, the drug dealer's name – or drug dealer guy's house, and – even when she like knocks on the door, this guy is really paranoid. He's like like looking through the slats in the window. And then mm-hmm. when she comes in, he lets her in. She, as he's closing the door, he's like making sure nobody was with her or followed her or something like that. And then essentially upsells her on cocaine. I know. She was like, I'd like a gram. And he was like, I mean, you already went through one. So how about an eight ball? Which again, I have no frame of reference. I don't know how much this is. I feel like with the things I have Googled from this show, if I Google eight ball, that might be like the tipping point. <laughs> yeah. I'm I think just it's like, got to be a lot, right? Like, because I'm imagining an actual eight ball like in pool. <laughs> same. That's what I, I was like. Do you just like fill a giant baggie and you're like, this is the same weight as an eight ball? I don't know. Yeah. Or like you like put it in a baggie and then you like do the, like, you know, like with flour where you can compact it. And mm-hmm. it's like you just compact it and then it's in the shape of a ball and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is, yeah, we, sh- clearly we shouldn't do drugs because we don't know <laughs> anything about drugs. I know. Someone would sell us something and we'd be like, yeah, this feels like an eight ball. <laughs> it's got a big eight on it and it's in the shape of a ball. That's all I got. <laughs> $120? Sold. Sold. <laughs> that seems fair. <laughs> it's very, uh, when Schmidt goes to yeah. try and buy crack cocaine. Crack again. <laughs> oh, oh god. Man. Or is it is it in It's Always Sunny when they're like, one crack, please? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's funny. Yeah, I think it's when uh Dennis and D try and go on welfare, so they try and get addicted to crack. Oh my god. Of course. Just one one crack, please. <laughs> but when he goes to get it, 
like Kelly goes and sits on the couch and this other woman comes in, Sherry, who's like already, you know, very high. She's like kind of a little strung out. She's not really like totally coherent about everything. And this other guy shows up and is like, Sherry, I'll be waiting for you in the bedroom. Whatever. But then Danny comes back, hands her the drugs, but then is like, I have this pharmaceutical stuff that's like not available for sale. Mm-hmm. Let's do it together right now. And then like cuts her a line, hands her a straw, and like this is the me brain. I'm sitting here like never do the drugs first. You don't know what's in that. Right. And never take a used like um, straw in this case. But like it's kind of like the whole – Get your drink yourself. Don't let mm-hmm. somebody buy you a drink kind of situation. Like she I was just, freaking out here. I, my heart yeah. was like pounding. Right? I was like, she just doesn't know what's in it. Like mm-hmm. that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And especially like right after seeing Sherry there and her clearly being high or, you know, um, under the influence of something and mm-hmm. that other guy making those comments. Like we're like, like clearly this is a horrible situation. For all parties. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like this in wild contrast because we cut over to the sex out party that's finally happening and it it's like loud music and a ton of people and a lot of color and there's a countdown clock at the top until they can have sex again that goes until – there's 10 hours left. <laughs> feels really early to have this party. I feel like you have this party at like four hours and then everybody leaves to go have sex. Well, because presumably, like, I think it, it you find out later that it was, like, from 8 to 8 or something, mm-hmm. not, like, midnight to, you know, midnight or whatever, because I was trying to do the math in my head, too, when it said 10 hours. I was like, oh, what time would that – wait, would that have to be 2 p.m. in the afternoon <laughs> if this was on a 12 to 12 situation? <laughs> yeah, I was literally, like – like you said earlier, sex out – but lockout, I was like, are they locking themselves in the pee pad for 12 hours from like, <laughs> where's dinner? Right. <laughs> Who's supplying the food? But like, yeah, it's this weird, like insane contrast because then, you know, we see all the gang like David is in Long John's. I love that so much. And like Steve is struggling because – Claire Claire's put on laundry and is just <laughs> dancing next to him while he's in just a suit jacket and a bow tie and boxer shorts. And whew, I mean, it got me. <laughs> I mean, they both looked so unbelievably attractive that I was like, I would just, if I were Claire, or I'm sorry, if I were Steve, I would just forget my pride. I'd be like, screw it. Look how hot we look. Like, <laughs> right? Like, thank goodness Steve is such a vain person, too. Right. Right. And, like, so committed to keeping this going. Yeah, like, I appreciate the commitment, but also I'd be like, come on, Steve. Like, let's be real. Right? <laughs> I want to have sex with you. Don't you want to have sex with me? Like, let, if that, if the answer is yes, then let's go. <laughs> right? And Claire is even like, do you remember the dressing room upstairs? Mm-hmm. Like, she is getting to him. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I love when he puts on the, like, blinder. <laughs> the yeah. I really wish she had just, like, reached up and just, like, blown into his ear. Or just been like, that works for me. Like, because, right? like, that's not a good reason. Like, that doesn't, that almost intensifies the sensation. <laughs> right? Like, that's not stopping me. Like, no. you still know I'm here. Right. 
And then Ginger and Jonathan show up and Val is so upset. I love that David's like, what do you, I don't, what did you <laughs> yeah. expect? They weren't going to show up. Right. But Val is insistent. She's like, I'm going to go talk to Ginger. I'm going to confront her in the bathroom. She's going to leave. Like, she is so confused why her plan didn't work. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, Ginger says. Everything will work out just fine. <laughs> I love Ginger. I hate her, but I love her. I mean, like, she's a very cartoony villain, oh, but yeah. it works. Yeah, for her it works because we've only seen her like a handful of times. You know, I feel like if she was a recurring character that had, you know, let's just say eight to ten episodes or more on the show, I would probably be tired of it after a while. But this is just like the right amount, you know? Mm-hmm. Just a little sprinkling and then she'll disappear forever. Mm-hmm. And so we cut back to Danny Five's house. I can't get over that his name is Danny Five. Mm-mm. But... They're very high now, and Kelly starts making out with Danny, which is just gross. And Sherry shows up, and she wants more Coke, and it's just like, Kirk won't give me any more. Can I have some of yours? I know it's not free. I'll make it worth it for you. Like, just very uncomfortable because Danny clearly takes her up on it to go, like, have sex with her in another room in exchange for Coke. Yeah, exactly. And, like, even as he was walking out, he, like, looks at Kelly and, like, raises up his shirt. Yeah. Ugh. He's like, don't forget this hairy tummy. Yeah, here's my belly button. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. But, like, thankfully, I feel like Kelly realizes at this point she's like, this is not yes. a good situation for me to be in. Yeah, because, like, Mary said it perfectly in her synopsis. It's like the smart Kelly – the intuitive Kelly that we all know and love is still in there somewhere. And she's like, "Uh Oh, I seem to have gotten myself into a pickle. Like I need to get out of here now. And uh, like the music appropriately intensifies. And that guy from earlier comes out to stop Kelly from leaving and tells her that she still hasn't basically paid this like really large bill for mm -hmm. not just the eight ball, but the pharmaceuticals. And she's like, no, I want to leave. And he straight up attacks her. He covers her mouth when she screams. He forces her back over to the couch and, like, tackles her to the couch and gets her to, like, not scream if if he takes his mouth or her, his hand over away from her mouth. Yeah. And he's, like, kissing on her neck and, Ugh. like, just it's – it's, this is everything I did not want for Kelly. Like, yeah. this is my worst fears realized that, like, truly Kelly was going to hit rock bottom. And, like, this is the drama of it all. This is the soap opera of it all. But, like, I just, like, I think it says a lot about how Jenny Garth plays this character and how they've written her because I just want to, like, cuddle her. I just want to protect her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she gets in – she has gotten through so much trauma. It – uh, whew, like the fact that she is still fighting, I think is impressive. Um, it says so much about like who her character actually is. Absolutely. Because essentially she kind of works it out in her head that she can, she can kind of trick this guy, right? Like, all right, she's going to give in to this, make him think that she's complying with what he's saying. 
And she even offers, like, let's drink some more wine. Let's continue this, right? And so she realizes, oh, I've got an empty bottle now. I can slam it over his head, which she does, and then runs, right? So she's using her resources, and she's trying to get GTFO, like, ASAP. Mm -hmm. And she takes off for her car. And I hate that we switched away from it. I know. But, like, without seeing her get in her car. Yeah. And... Like, I feel like we do have to switch over and talk about that other stuff because the yes. stories end up converging after yep. this because we go back to the peach pit where, like, Susan does not know about what happened with Ginger and everyone is talking shit about her at this table and Brandon's like, oh, well, Jonathan and Ginger basically deserve each other. And then basically through the course of everyone sitting at the tables, Jonathan – surprise kisses ginger but it's because they know that susan's watching and mm-hmm. they think this is gonna work and they reference like a deal like ginger's like hey that wasn't part mm-hmm. of the deal and he's like trust me essentially or like i know but look at the reaction yeah and they're just like yeah once they have that moment ginger is back on board she is ready to like just cause chaos And Brandon even sees it too. He's like, they are doing this because you're watching them. Like, I'm fine. I'm having a great time. I don't know what you're seeing. And they're kind of like arguing and getting a little snippy with each other because they're basically trying to decide who's affected more by this. Is it Susan or is it Brandon? Yeah. But then there's a dance contest because, of course, there is. There's a dance contest. And I was so surprised that David wasn't in the middle of this. Like, I don't know. I guess... Val is not the best dance partner, but yeah, like, that's what we know about David. He mm-hmm. dance. And Brandon don't not- dance. David dance. <laughs> David dance and dance well. He usually wins. Maybe he's like, mm, I'm tired of winning all the time. <laughs> he's like, my long johns are just like a little too tight. Yeah, they're a little restrictive for my epic dance moves. Yeah. But instead, you know, we see a couple of people... Most importantly, we see Jonathan and Ginger. And for some reason, the culmination of their plan is that Ginger is going to pretend to twist her ankle. Jonathan will need a dance partner. Susan will gladly volunteer to help. And then he's going to win her back that way. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Right? Full Wish I thought of it. (laughs) I don't understand how this plan didn't work for them. Right? But he goes over because the the MC running this is like, if you don't have a dance partner, you're out of the dance contest. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a prize to this dance contest. I don't think there's any reason other than to fill time. Mm-hmm. But he goes over and like Susan says no, but he grabs her anyway. So she punches him right in the face. I loved it. It was amazing. It was incredible. That's like a total, you know, breakfast club fist in the air moment. <laughs> Like, it was wonderful. And I love her immediate reaction to be like, ow. Like, she didn't expect a punch to hurt her. (laughs) And she did what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to just punch someone in the face just to say that I have. Like, I don't actually want to get in a fight. I just want to be able to punch someone in the face. (laughs) I volunteer. (laughs) No. Why would I want to punch you in the face? I don't know, for fun, and maybe it's on my bucket list to get punched in the face. What? (laughs) 
my God, best friends forever. <laughs> right? That would just bonding like, experience. Yeah, it would connect us on a whole different level. <laughs> I'm out. This is not going to be a three way punching. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, if it's anything like my reoccurring nightmare, what'll actually happen is I'll rear back for the punch and then my arm will just turn to jelly. And so it actually like <laughs> will end up just like my hand just starfishing on your face. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ari, you can bring us both ice after. There you go. You'll be the caretaker. <laughs> oh, I'll have the bags of peas just ready. Yes. No, I, w- I prefer steak. Thank you. <laughs> That's unsanitary. You get peas. Damn it. <laughs> Better for the environment anyway. Very true. <laughs> yeah. After this epic moment, mm-hmm. we have this weird thing where Ginger and Val are together and Ginger calls out Val for setting her up with a guy who's obsessed with another woman and then basically is just like, all right, my plan's back on and it's David or nothing. Which is such just a wild thing. Like until you learn the actual like motive behind it at the very end, I am still just like, why? Like, I mean, David's fine and like he's good looking and whatever, but I'm like, why is he worth this much money? I mean, I actually have it in my notes. I didn't write it down until the next scene with the two of them because, you know, Val takes David into her office where it's quiet and basically tells him everything about Ginger. She's like, yeah. oh, do you remember what happened at Kelly's birthday party? This is what it was. This is what me and Ginger conspired to do. And now she wants $50,000 to keep the secret or to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. And... He is shocked. He's like fifty thousand dollars. Like, wow. <laughs> and <seems> excessive. <laughs> well, and then when Val says, "What else could I do? I could lose everything." Like, this is the moment I wrote down in my notes. I was like, "They have to know that the whole point of this is just to hurt Val." Right. Right. As soon as it comes out of her mouth, they should have been thinking about that. Right. Like, regardless of who it ended up coming from. There should have been a light bulb moment going off being like, wait a minute. Surely this isn't really what she wants, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if they didn't come to the conclusion that it was just a hurt vow, surely they would have figured out that it's not the real thing, right? Like I feel like even yeah, David should be like, look, I think I'm great at sex and you better think <laughs> that too, but I am not <laughs> worth $50,000. Right, right. Like especially because he could even be like, she doesn't even know me. Yeah, like that sort of thing. This is going to be like at best a one night stand where there is a non-consenting adult in the relate. Like this is going to suck. Yeah, this is going to be really bad. Exactly. But while they're upstairs, Nat comes in from the peach pit where he's gotten another call from Kelly and he's just like, Brandon, I need to talk to you. And they like set off to the side for a minute. He like really quickly mutters something in Brandon's ear and Brandon basically like takes off. Like, like immediately. Yeah. He like I think he comes back long enough to be like Susan Kelly is in a lot of trouble and then they just like immediately go. And we get to like Susan goes with Brandon. They drive up to Kelly's car. And again, like Jenny Garth, like she is given such tough material and she aces it. Like mm-hmm. And I gotta, I gotta say, Jason Priestley's directing here, I thought was perfect. Like having her not hear Brandon at first, mm-hmm. even though he's like knocking, 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 like yelling into the car, 
but her just almost zombie-like state, tears mm-hmm. streaming down her face, completely like she, you could see her body shaking. And then to see him, and once she does, she just breaks down and, and, and really starts like vocally freaking out. And he rolls down, like they get the her to roll down the window or open the door, I'm not sure which. And all she says is, Brandon, please help me. And it breaks your heart and simultaneously gives you almost like a sigh of relief, too, because you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, finally, finally, she's reaching out because we mm-hmm. knew Jackie knew it. Brand, uh, Brandon knew it. Audience knew that the only way Kelly was going to get help is if she asked for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the work that they can do just like in this scene where like there's barely any talking, like yeah. truly. He's just, just saying, Kelly, and then she says, Brandon, please help me. Like, I know. It's, it's so gripping. It really is. Like, and then just, my eyes are just, like, glued. You know, it's in these shows, especially when they're, when you have a cast this large, in any show like this, sometimes you, you can kind of, like, have your thoughts wander or your mm-hmm. your eyeline wander and you're not fully paid paying attention like there's even a scene later between Joe and Donna that I'm I wrote down stuff but I didn't really absorb a lot of it but then there's other scenes where you're just like I can't look away I can mm-hmm. I physically cannot think or hear or see anything else except this in this moment Oh yeah I mean that's honestly a really good transition cuz like it's kind of jarring to go from that to the next scene where Donna has left the dance to go find Joe and he's mm-hmm. packing very stupidly. And literally the only thing I wrote is Joe is quitting school. Donna convinces him not to quit. I don't know. I didn't pay attention. Like it was just hard to pay attention to that and to, you know, honestly care knowing what else is happening, not only with Brayden and Kelly and that story, but like frankly also the Val and Ginger and David stuff. Yeah, and I think I told I totally agree because and maybe that's the point. Like maybe the order mm-hmm. of this was the point was that it wasn't so the Joe and Donna scene wasn't so important that you didn't have to take your mind away from the Kelly and Brandon scene. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like you could still be thinking about it and processing it while this Joe and Donna scene happened. And because nothing crazy important happened, just a Joe's initial, like, I'm quitting, I'm off the team. She tries to reason with him saying the job, the coach has, has a job too, like, da, 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 da. They don't know what's wrong with him yet. Like, so why are you jumping to this conclusion? All ends kind of well, I guess. You can still kind of be in process mode instead of having to immediately switch gears to something as dramatic or as, um, intense as the previous scene. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And like, I feel a little bad for the Joe storyline. They'd be like, this is less important. Just put it there. But right. like that fit, like that makes sense. It, it's like a good transition because like, even though the Joe storyline is important, just not in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get a couple other small scenes after that where, Val is looking at the poem that David wrote her. We get the voiceover again. And then a really weird gross moment, in my opinion, where Claire and Steve are back up in that room in the peach pit and – or the pee pad. And 
Steve is counting down the seconds. They've stayed there all night so that he doesn't have to worry about a bed enticing him. Mm-hmm. And it hits 8 o'clock. And it's like he immediately jumps on Claire. And then she's like, I fucked with the clock so that you have to pay up on the bet. And then he says that he fucked with the clock because he figured she would fuck with the clock. And that's really gross and weird. And especially considering everything else happening in this episode, it frustrates me that Steve and Claire just get these stories. Right. Because I think like they didn't have to – they didn't have to mess with the clock they could just be horny for each other and be right? waiting together to count down, right? Like, yeah. We, or we could have seen Claire trying to mess with Steve up until the last second without the clock being changed and him trying to resist. And then as soon as the clock strikes, whatever, they're just like all on each other. Like that would have been fine. Yeah, because then he's on her and she doesn't look interested because she's, exactly. she lost the bet. Exactly. Exactly. It's ugh, gross. I don't like it. Well, but luckily we have like other important things to talk about yeah. because like we get to Ginger and Val and I love that they're both wearing pantsuits. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I loved it. Um, they sit down at a table and Ginger like willingly gives Val the recording and Valerie appropriately asks, did you make copies or are there any copies? And she essentially is just like, she says the words honor among thieves, which I loved because it's essentially saying like, we're both baddies, but we're not going to screw each other over to an extent. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Ginger basically just like hands her the tape, goes to leave and is like, well, my flight is soon and just like chaotically exits the building. Yep. Because she's not done because... Val is left sitting at this table alone, and David comes in. And he says, like, Ginger didn't sleep with me. She just wanted to hurt you. Which, duh. We should have all picked up on that. And, like, Val is so sorry that she brought him into this. Like, she's so glad that nothing happened. And then he breaks up with her. Whew. It was... It was heavier than I anticipated. Again, because I think right? I think Tiffany Thiessen did a really good job building up her genuine affection for him mm-hmm. and her genuine um, remorse for dragging him into it. But I also think it's important that not once was she ever like, you know what? My relationship with you and getting you involved is not worth it. She mm-hmm. Ginger can do whatever she wants. She can tell the the gang. She can show them the tape. Whatever. This isn't worth it. And I think that is essentially why he broke up with her. Because even though she was honest and upfront about the whole like, I guess plan in the first place, she never once was like, "I love you and protect and want to protect you enough that my pride and my ego." doesn't matter yeah i mean i think it was the last episode that david was like it's always complicated with you Mm -hmm. and it seems like over and over and over again david was willing when it wasn't about sex david was willing to do whatever he needed to for val bust her out of jail without knowing why he was doing it like and she just kept being really like secretive about it or Mm -hmm. putting her own needs above his like, not actually letting him into her life. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, they just like they there was no way they were coming back from this. Yeah, agreed. And then finally, we see Kelly in the hospital. And she is very dehydrated and very upset. And Jackie is there and Brandon is there. And she asks Brandon to like talk to her. And she's just like so upset about everything. She's like, I had it all and I threw it all away. And Brandon's like, Well, you're human. Like, that's what happened. Like, you don't need to feel these ways because you're human. Things mm-hmm. happen. And I think that's the perfect response he Agreed. could have given her. Agreed. And then she tells Brandon that she still loves him. And he can't say it back. Well, you know, I'm sus, you know, because this is a lot of Kelly is feeling a lot of flooding of emotion. Mm-hmm. She has just essentially been saved, not only from a horrible situation, but also she has been away from Colin for, I would argue, about at least 12 hours. Um, she is coming down from all of her drug use. Mm-hmm. She is getting fluid. She is like surrounded by people who actually care about her. Mm-hmm. So I could understand why she would say it. I just don't believe it. Um, I don't either. I mean... Well, okay. I believe, I believe she it. loves him. I I do think this was like a trauma moment yes. where she was just like, I need you to say this back to me and that's what's going to tell me that I'm okay. Yeah. And but, she says she's very scared. Again, like totally understand it. And Brandon, mm-hmm. instead of walking away, he stays. He like basically switches hands, like holds her hand, puts a hand on her head and stays. And I think... I think that was interesting, too, that, like, she says she still loves him. He Mm -hmm. doesn't say anything. You can tell he doesn't want to say anything. So she eventually kind of realizes it and then says, I'm scared. Um, And that gets him to stay. So how do you feel about Brandon being the one to save her? Like, if you had had the choice to write the, the episode, would you have picked anybody else maybe? I would have picked Donna. Same. Me too. (laughs) I feel like Donna made more sense, and they just picked Brandon because he's arguably the main character. Mm -hmm. And they've been, like, setting it up so that it would be Brandon, like, throughout Mm -hmm. this whole process of Kelly's downward spiral, but I think it should have been Donna. I think it should have been Donna, and I feel like they also kind of set that up, too, where Donna kept being the one to keep talking to her, Mm -hmm. and I, I would have loved it. If it was Donna. I mean, I don't dislike this. I just, I would have loved it if it was Donna. I agree. I'm not mad that it was Brandon. I I do think it makes sense that it's Brandon to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I also kind of wouldn't have been mad if it was David. I know he had his own storyline going on, but like, I wouldn't have been mad. Honestly, the only reason I didn't pick David is because, yeah, he was busy. Right. But, like, so was Brandon. Mm-hmm. Donna arguably, like, barely had anything going on because Joe was spiraling, but he was spiraling off on his own, and then Donna's intuition made her go to him. I think I at so. least would have, like, felt better if Donna was at the hospital. Like, yes. Because I could understand from a 
a dangerous situation aspect that it might have been better to be Brandon because in case there was like a physical altercation kind of situation. And let's mm-hmm. be real, like Brandon can hold his own. And if it's attacking another guy, you know, like I get like that makes sense to yeah. me. And maybe Donna wouldn't have been the best person in that situation. But she absolutely would have been the right person to talk to her in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. And I do wonder like where we're going to go in the next episode, if it's going to start with everybody in the hospital and people seeing mm-hmm. her, like, do we get that Donna moment? Do we get a David moment? Like, I right. do wonder. Me too. Um, do you have anything else that you want to bring up about this episode? I don't think so. I think it was overall a good episode. I genuinely usually like when Jason Priestley directs. I think he's Agreed. pretty intuitive. Um, I think he... Without knowing what the scripts look like, I think he does a good job of focusing on the right emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it was not my favorite, but it was definitely not my least favorite. And I think the things that happened um, that I didn't like were appropriate for the time. And the things that I really enjoyed were the genuine, like, character moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, not one of my favorites, but I think it's up there. Mm-hmm. So did you have a quote of the week this episode? Sure did. Okay. Well, the only one that I wrote down that is even like remotely appropriate in my mind is when Ginger gives Val the tape and says, Honor Monk Thieves, I got what I wanted. I do like that one. I wrote down dumb shit again, as always. It's my um, favorite. Ginger seeing Jonathan for the first time and being like, not bad. (laughs) If only you knew, he's terrible. Um, And then Donna being amazing, saying to Kelly, if there's anything you ever need, you know I'm always here for you. You know I love you. Because everyone needs a Donna to say that to them at some point in their life. And 100%. My heart. And then um, David finding out that it was either 50 grand or his PP, um, just saying, I'm amazed. <laughs> and I was like, me too. <laughs> yep. Same. That's awesome. And that's it. Uh, well, mine was absolutely the little exchange between Susan and Brandon upon understanding oh, yeah. that Susan uh, took the pledge. And he's like, She's like, speak for yourself, dear. He's like, you didn't. It's like, I did. Happy Valentine's Day, precious. <laughs> like, it's just so cute. Oh, my gosh. No, that's a good one. I like that. I think I also love, like, I don't know if this is intentional or if it's, like, almost breaking character, but sometimes Emma Caulfield giggles when she speaks. And so sometimes I'm like, are you about to break? Or did you put it on because it sounds natural <laughs> and I'm like I, I kind of love that I don't even care if you're about to break character or if it's put on it's it's so cute she's adorable I love them together me mm-hmm. too all right but Mary do you have okay. a moment I do and it's probably dumb but it's the like it's, it was my favorite little moment and it's just another illustration of how good Brandon and Susan are together 
when she goes into her office and sees that he's given her flowers, she's just like, Walsh, get in here. And it was really cute. Just her tone of voice and Mm -hmm. how touched she was was just evident. And I really love them. Like, they're so cute together. I agree. They're so cute together. I feel much more confident now that they're not going to break up because of Jonathan, but now I don't know why they're going to break up, but you know they're going to break up. And yeah. huh. I don't want it. They're cute. I'm I'm on the bruising train. I am too. But I I don't think that's coming anytime soon. So sure instead, what is next week's episode? Well, next week we have season six, episode 22. And no, this is not the season finale. <laughs> it is called All This and Mary Too. Mary? <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah, so I, we have a guest spot next episode. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, it's called All This and Mary Too. Oh my God, if a little like five-year-old mary just showed up (laughs) you've been hiding this for this long oh my god (laughs) not even just the entirety of our friendship but also the entirety of this podcast my god that would be the greatest reveal of all time that is like a winston level prank (laughs) (laughs) i went back in time for this specific reason yeah (laughs) i invented time travel just to insert myself into a random episode. Well, Completely to kidnap my five-year-old self and put that <laughs> my five-year-old self on TV. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, oh, my God! I, I like, yeah. I don't even want to guess what the episode is because this is better. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we'll find out next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back to Podcast. You can also let us know if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns by sending us an email at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. All that stuff really helps us. It helps us get seen, build a community, give y'all a better product. And if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the pod because we appreciate you. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm going to go cut a zucchini really weird. I am just going to get an eight ball because it ends up being cheaper. And I'm going to spend $10 on a sex out shirt to wear every day of my life. Bye. Bye. See ya.